Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse number 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, and he that is true, and he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Behold, thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and thank you for even being physically able to gather here this evening. Lord, what a blessing it is just to be able to make it to the house of God, to gather here and to worship you, to sing to you, to praise to you, to, to learn from your word with such freedom and such liberty. We know that there was a great cost, Lord. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Feed us from your word. May we be able to set everything aside that afflicts us in this life. And focus in upon your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we always hear it every generation. We hear this saying that we live in a time of uncertainty. It's just uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen with our nation. We don't know what's going to happen with our leader. We don't know what's going to happen in this world. As I was just refreshing my mind before we came upstairs this evening, it brought a smile to my face that this portion, this letter to the Church of Philadelphia is a time of certainty. You know, it's one thing for the world to live in a state of uncertainty. It's another for a child of God to live in a state of uncertainty. We are not uncertain about anything. God's reminder to the church at Philadelphia was exactly who he is. That's what we covered this morning. He's one who's holy. He's one who's true. He's one who is just. He's the one who holds the wealth of all the world in his hands. And he is the one that has opened the door and bid the sinner to come. 
We pick up here in verse 8 where the Lord tells them, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. See what the Lord is saying to the church of Philadelphia. They only had a little strength. They were feeble, but they were faithful. This should erase from our minds that we should ever have to become great in any kind of earthly status to be used by God. This should erase from our minds that we would have to become, and become great in oratory ability to be used by God. This should erase from our minds that we would have to be anything mighty at all in the world's standards to be used by God. God honors the faithfulness of men, the faithfulness of women, not the strength of them all. We've heard the story of Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was this famous English preacher. They were said that in England, prior to be burned, prior to being burned at the stake with Mr. Ridley, that he was known as the most faithful man in England. He was the idol of the common people, the bishop of the high church. He was chaplain unto the king. He served in the church of England and was noted abroad. But during this time, while he served in this position, the Lord would save him. After the Lord saved Hugh Latimer, no one could change his convictions that he held to. And as I said, on October 16, 1555, he burned at the stake for those same convictions. As his persecutors lit the wood beneath his feet, it was said that Latimer turned to the Bishop of London standing by and said, this day, we shall this day, Lord, my Lord, light such a candle in England that shall never be extinguished. And even we're standing here today, all of these years later, and every time you're in Bible college, anytime you learn about faithfulness, the, the name Hugh Latimer comes up. The man who gave up popularity for truth. The man who gave up position for truth. The man who gave up his life for truth. He had a mighty testimony. The boldness that this man had. But what is the most interesting about Latimer was that in his writings, he wrote about this man named Little Bilney. Little Bilney lived in England. He was a man who lived in England. And it was said that Little Bilney was a man of no account. He had no money. He had no wealth. It was uncertain in England whether Little Bilney even owned a home. One day, though, in Little Bilney's life, he bought Erasmus's translation of the word of God into the English language, and there God would use the word of God to save little Bilney. Little Bilney one day would enter into this church in England where he would hear Hugh Latimer speak, and he was captivated by his speaking. Matter of fact, all of England was captivated by the way Hugh Latimer spoke. But when little Bilney left out of the building that day, a man of no estate, he was heartbroken realizing that Hugh Latimer was such a mighty speaker. But as he heard him speak, he realized this man was without Christ. This day, little Bilney cried out to God and said, I don't even know how this is even possible, but 
if there's a way, Lord, use me to lead Latimer to Christ. He prayed there in time and passed, and one day he again arrived there to hear Latimer teach from the Word of God in the Church of England. As Latimer this day walked by, Bilney reached out and grabbed a hold of his robe and said, Today, this day, you must let me confess my soul unto you. On this day, Latimer agreed, and he took Bilney into a confessional booth. With Bilney on one side and Latimer on the other, there, Bilney confessed his soul to Latimer. He confessed the aching hunger that he once had in his heart, that no priest, that no confession, that no sacrament, that no sacrifice, that no ritual, no resolve was able to heal. He told about how he read in the Word of God and how he found peace through with God through Jesus Christ. This day, Bilney wept in the confessional booth. And as Bilney wept there in the confessional booth, it is said that Latimer stood up on his side of the booth, walked over to Bilney's side of the booth, opened the door, knelt down beside him and wept and repented of his sins. And there the Lord saved Latimer. Walking out of the day, where did Bilney go? A man of no estate, no home, no praise, no nothing. Yet God mightily used Bilney because he was faithful to that which God had given him, the word of God. I guess you could say here in the church of Philadelphia, as we've seen this morning, no estate, no wealth, broken to the people in Philadelphia, these people had the worst condition possible, yet they were faithful to preach the word of God. Philadelphia was full of little buildings who believed that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ could change even the most noted person in the land, that it could change the champion of Rome. What a powerful testimony. The man who lit a fire for all of England to see. All because a man who was faithful to preaching the word. They have, they here they have not denied his name is what the Lord said. It was believed that for nearly 1,200 years at this church, the Church of Philadelphia, would not only preach and hold true to God's word, but it is noted that out of the Church of Philadelphia, many missionaries would come. It is noted that Philadelphia for 1,200 years after Christ held true in preaching the word of God and was a resource for the spread of the word of God all the way until the Ottoman Empire where they took every Christian in Philadelphia into the street and massacred them for the cause of Christ. They were faithful until the end. Verse 9 says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, to know that I have loved thee. They were Jews racially. They were even Jews culturally. They were even ceremonially Jews, but spiritually they were not. We know what the Bible says in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, 
neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. They confessed they were Jews. They said they were of the Old Testament, but Jesus makes it clear to hear, they confess they are, but they do lie. The Lord's promise to them is that they will one day bow at their feet. I will make them, I will make them come to worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, this is probably to these believers here in Philadelphia. It rings true. It probably should even ring true in our mind. Our mind should begin to connect the stories that we have read about in the Old Testament. Remember when Joseph stood before his brothers and said, I have dreamed a dream. This was God's dream that the 12 stars and the sun and the moon would bow down before him. He dreamed this dream. They would do what they have chosen, sell them off to slavery. But by the time we get to the end of the book of Genesis, where do we find that the sun and the stars had all bowed down themselves before Joseph? Now, we thank God that Joseph had seen that this was God's mighty hand at work. And he said, you had meant it for evil, but God had meant it for good. Or even when you go back and you think about Jephthah in the book of Judges, when Jephthah's brother found out that Jephthah didn't have a good pedigree, what is the first thing they did? They kicked Jephthah out of the tribe. And Jephthah didn't spend this time becoming bitter. Jephthah instead found himself a band of men and strengthened them victoriously in the things of war and in the things of the Lord. When Israel's time of need came, Jephthah stood up and all of those who banned Jephthah called upon him. And not only did he victoriously deliver Israel, but they put him in a place of authority. They bowed down before Jephthah's feet. This is the promise that the Lord has given to the church at Philadelphia. These people who have afflicted you. These people who have brought harm to you. These people who have hurt you in due time. They will bow at your feet. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Speaking literally here to the hour of trouble, to the hour of tribulation, this hour shall come upon the whole world to those who dwell upon the earth. This to me is here is the speaking of what is the one day come that we all long for, that we're all looking for. First Thessalonians has us chopping at the bit, the day of the rapture. Something to note here about this verse that um, part of my personal eschatology is built around this verse. How I view the end times and how it's going to unfold for us believers is uh, part of it's anchored here in this verse number 12. Some people today say, well, you know, we're pre-trib. Some say they're post-trib. Some say they're mid-trib. I am a pre-tribulation believer. And the reason is, is because of what this verse says. He says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. 
first thing to realize here is that the Lord is telling them because of their faithfulness, because of their patience, because they have kept, he will keep them from the hour of this temptation. Meaning, I will keep you from the hour of this great test. The first thing to notice about this great temptation, this great time of testing is that it has not yet come. It was going to one day come upon the earth. It is not current. It is in the future. Also notice this. Note this for ourselves that we know that the great tribulation is for what? Seven years. It is for a specific time. He says here, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Second, the test is for a definite, limited time. Jesus described it as the hour of temptation. Third, it is a test or a trial that will expose people for who they really are. Fourthly, realize this. It says here that this temptation, this trial will come upon the whole world. Finally, most significantly, its purpose is to test those who dwell upon the earth. The Lord promises to keep his church out of this future testing, out of this future temptation that will come upon all who are on the earth, or come upon the whole world upon the earth. It is a statement to say that we will not be here for this hour of temptation. We will not be here for this hour of testing upon the earth. Now, post-tribulation people say that, you know, they believe that during this time that we're going to actually go through the seven years of tribulation. We're going to go through all of this time of suffering. We're going to see the seven seals unleashed. But realize what it says here. The Lord says he will keep them from it. This is not only a promise to the people in Philadelphia. This is a promise to he that is faithful. This is a promise to the overcomer. This is a promise to the child of God that we will not be in this great hour of temptation, that we'll not be in this great hour of tribulation. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, and that no man take thy crown. They were faithful and loyal to Christ. He commanded them not only to remain so, but he says, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. There is something to remember here when we think about this verse and we think about the setting in which this is happening. Remember, Jews were exempt from making a proclamation that Caesar is Lord. Remember when Christ was crucified, Pilate wrote on the top of the cross that this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. For the longest time, Judaism and Christianity were viewed as apart. They would keep a book inside of the temple or inside of the synagogue that had a registry of all who belonged to the synagogue. If your name was written down in the synagogue, you wasn't forced to confess to Caesar's Lord. But if your name was taken from the log, if you were thrown out from the synagogue, then you must confess that Caesar is Lord. 
This is exactly where these early believers were. They were forced out of the temple. They were ushered away. They were kicked out. And because they were kicked out of the temple, they were then brought to this place where they either must confess or face judgment. But notice what the Lord says. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. Meaning, he that overcomes, he'll no more be forced out of the temple. Not in my kingdom. He that is an overcomer won't face the discrimination or the, the forcing out. They'll no more see this door shut in their face more than three times here. We keep seeing this. The door is shut. No man can shut this door. No man can shut this door. No man can shut this door. I will open the door. I will open the door. It is a constant reminder that here in this place in Philadelphia, as these believers would try to come to the synagogue, they would be locked out and denied access to even learn things about God. He promises to take the weak and the feeble and to turn them into pillars in the temple. The overcomer will be a part of the scenery there. There will be no more being ushered out. Verse 12 reads this, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar of the temple, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Verse 12 shows us three ways in which God will mark the overcomer. He said, I will write upon him the name of my God. It is to be distinguished as the fact that you are a part of. Not too long ago, I was down here at Kroger's and a man walked up to me while I was standing in line and he asked me, who is your boss? I was puzzled. As, he, as I didn't respond, he began to go on and said, which department is yours? And then he even asked me what I thought about the contract. I was even more baffled. I said, sir, I'll be honest with you. I have no clue what you're talking about. He said, well, you're wearing a DeBraw Kimple shirt. I'm like, oh, it was a gift. A contractor gave it to me. He thought because of this shirt, this tag, this name, that this was who I was affiliated with. The Lord will put the name of my God upon you, meaning for all eternity, for all who sees us, they'll know exactly whom we are affiliated with. Even more, the Lord will not only put the name of my God upon them, but he says he will put the name of the city of my God upon them, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God to them that overcomes will forever be identified not only with my God, but with the city of my God. He will put this upon them too. To the overcomer, will they will have the name of the city. They will ever be identified in travel where their home is. We will boast that I am from the new Jerusalem. Thirdly, we will be identified with the Lord's inherent glory. How do we see this in this last portion? He said, I will write upon him my new name. Oh, what is this new name? We 
have no clue. His new name is mysterious. His new name is beautiful. His new name is brilliance. The blessings and the majesties that will one day be opened up to our eyes is far beyond our understanding. It is like I could only imagine, remember in the Old Testament when the Queen of Sheba came unto Solomon and she said, the half has not been told unto me. I imagine that we'll feel like we hadn't learned nothing out of scriptures when we one day get to heaven and are amazed at the majesty before us. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In the heat of the battle during World War II, night and day enemy bombers flew across the English Channel to unload their cargoes of death and destruction on the cities and villages below. The Royal Air Force had a magnificent fight. Sir Winston Churchill, after World War II, accounted and recalled this mighty battle that happened in the sky. He, when recounting what happened, he said, the world owed to that valiant group of men who flew their battered planes against incalculable odds. He declared, never before in the field of human conflict have so many owed so much to so few. He said in one lonely outpost, a group of fighters was gathered there to eat in the mess hall. They were exhausted. Their eyes were weary. They were facing fatigue. Their eyes were blurry. And there they were catching a brief moment of relaxation before climbing the skies to fight the enemy again. Suddenly a buzzer came across. The so uh, Suddenly a buzzer sounded and the voice came across the intercom. Bandits at 15,000 feet. Over, I repeat, bandits at 15,000 feet over. At once, the pilots jumped to their feet, racing to the runway. Pausing on the runway, the squadron reader ran back and picked up the phone and repeated back into the intercom, message received and understood. The text here says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It is a reminder to us that, listen, it, though it may look dreary here, take the message and call out, received and understood. It's not going to end here. Received and understood. For us that overcome, something glorious is going to happen. Received and understood that one day, one day, no matter how it ends here, I'm going to end up in heaven and he's going to write the name of his God upon me. And he's going to write the name of the city of his God upon me. And he is going to write his name upon me. And forever I will be identified with him because we remain faithful to him in this life. It may seem like every day we turn on the news. It may seem like every day we turn around. The television cries out, bandits at 15,000 feet, over. Bandits at 15,000 feet, over. And we just need to turn to Revelations chapter 3 and say, received and understood. It's not too bad. 
it's a part of the time. Matter of fact, how is this great tribulation? How is this time where the world cries out for an antichrist to come on the scene? How is this time ever going to come unless it gets worse? It's got to get worse. But in the same breath, while it's getting worse in this world, may we be like the church of Philadelphia who stands the ground, who preaches the word, who does not fold, whether it brings financial harm, whether it brings harm upon our families, whatever it be, may we be found faithful to the cause of Christ. I know we think to ourselves, easier said than done, but it can be done because God said. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that You'll help us to glean and hold to the truths of your word here, Lord. I pray that we'll, as we go out into the work week, Lord, that we'll stand bold and stand true for you, Lord. That as we face the affairs and afflictions of this life, that we'll be emboldened knowing that these things must unfold and the best is yet to come. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.